Good morning. Welcome to everyone. We're glad that you're here today. Um, we have some guests with us today, and we're grateful for your presence with us today and hope that you'll feel very much a part of our fellowship as we uh, uh, join in worshiping God together today. And I hope that everyone had a joyous Christmas. Every, everybody have a great Christmas? Very good. That's, I'm glad to hear that, and, and we're looking forward to a blessed new year as well. Uh, first of all, let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets today. We'd like to ask everyone, if you would, to take uh, the attendance sheets in the uh, purple folder at the end of each row. We'd like to ask if you would take that and to fill it out and pass it down the row so we could have a record of your attendance with us. Uh, put your name and address, and if, especially if you'd like to receive our email newsletter, please put your email address on there, and that's a great way to keep up with the activities going on here at Community Baptist Church because we have a, a newsletter that goes out each Thursday. And so please put your email address on there, and we'll put you on that list. Um, it has been a hectic November and December, and I am happy to say that not much is going on right now. <laughs> we have a little bit of a lull, but uh, during this holiday season, last week and this coming week, uh, we will not be having church council today. I know it's in the, in the worship folder, but we'll not be having church council today. Uh, we will not be having any services on Wednesday. Uh, however, after the first of the year, everything will be getting back to normal, and, and our regular schedule will uh, come into play after the first of the year. Uh, in the meantime, it is great to be here with you, and we welcome everyone uh, to the house of the Lord today, and we invite you now to take this opportunity to share the love of Christ with one another as we stand and greet each other in the name of Christ.
Please join me in our responsive reading for today. This is actually a song that's written by Carolyn Winford Gillette called God, How Can We Comprehend? God, how can we comprehend, though we've seen them times before, lines of people without end fleeing from some war? You put music in their souls. Now they struggle to survive. You gave each one gifts and goals. Now they flee to stay alive. Lord, your loving knows no bounds. You have conquered death for all. May we hear beyond our towns to our distant neighbors call. Amen. I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. Now, after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled which had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah wailing in loud lamentations. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. After being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. This is a reading from our Lord. down boys and girls I tell you what today um, I am going to take a nap during church I brought my pillow and my yoga mat y'all will excuse me while I take a nap won't you I'll roll out my yoga mat here Woo-wee. I've got the only yoga mat in town that's got glitter on it I live uh, somebody that in my household likes to put glitter on everything and it ends up on my yoga mat. Whew. Me, I'll get my pillow ready here. Sweetheart, you're going to have to sit over there because I'm taking a nap. No, Gracie, you got to sit over there. I'm going to take a nap during church. Y'all can go on and do what y'all think y'all need to do during church, but I'm going to take a nap. Whew. Well, that's going to be great. Whew. You know, the reason I need to take a nap today is because I have a friend that has a big problem, and I believe when I take a nap that I'm going to have a dream, and during that dream, I'm going to find out what to do for my friend that has a big problem. What do you think about that? Hmm. So you don't think that I'll figure out what to do by waiting on a dream, do you? You would sleep on it? You know, dreams, everybody likes to talk about their dream, but you know one thing about dreams, nobody really likes listening to other people's dreams, but they're, 
And 90% of your dreams, you forget in the first 10 minutes you're awake. You know, dreams are so silly. We, I have a cat. Well, really, I don't have a cat. She's the downtown cat. And I go and set, and Miss Kitty's her name. She gets up on me, and she goes to sleep. And all of a sudden, she just jumps up, and I know she's dreaming, you know. I, dream, I used to, years ago, work in a restaurant, and when I would work so hard at night in the restaurant, I would come home exhausted, and I would have these dreams about missing something that somebody was supposed to have on their plate or getting somebody a drink or something, and they're just crazy dreams, you know? Okay, so if, if, if dreams are unusually about the things that we do during our day, why would you think that I would go to bed and figure out how to help my friend? In today's story, we hear from the gospel about something that happened just like this. When Jesus was born, you know, last week we celebrated that, there was a king named Herod okay, who heard about a powerful king being born in Bethlehem. Who was that king? Jesus. He thought that Jesus was going to go, go take over his kingdom, and he didn't want that to happen. He was willing to do anything to make sure that Jesus would never get old enough to be the king of Jerusalem. Mary and Joseph had no idea what was being planned for uh, Jesus until one night... When Joseph had a dream where an angel told him to get up and take Mary and Jesus to Egypt, far away from the king Herod, who had bad things planned for Jesus. That was, wouldn't you say, a pretty special dream? Wouldn't you say so? What's even more amazing is that Joseph had another dream when it was safe to bring Jesus back to home. You know, God used something as normal and common as a dream to tell Joseph what to do to keep Jesus safe, and that's pretty cool, isn't it? Think about all the things that happen to you every day in your life, all of those normal, boring things that we go about, and we just don't even think about those things. Could God use those boring things that you go through in your daily life to tell you something? I think you could. Keep your eyes, everybody point to your eyes, and your ears ready. You never know when God will tell you something important in an unexpected place, whether it be in a dream, at your school, at your home. Let's pray. God of everything and everywhere, help us to be open to hearing and seeing you in every little thing that happens to us. Fill our days with the wonder of your love and grace forever. Amen. Boys and girls, you can go with Miss Mary to proceed with your worship, and we will continue with the singing of our next hymn. Thank you.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for the blessings. Lord, we ask you to forgive us of our sins. Thankful for this church and these people. Bless these tithes and offerings. In Jesus' name, amen. Beautiful. Thank you, Jacob. One day, Lucy and Linus, those wonderful characters from Peanuts, had a wishbone that they were about to pull and make a wish. Lucy was explaining to Linus that if he got the big half of the wishbone, his wish would come true. And so Linus asked, do I have to say the wish out loud? And Lucy said, well, of course you do. If you don't say it out loud, then the wish won't come true. So Lucy went first to make her wishes. She said, I wish for, a, for four new sweaters, a new bike, a new pair of skates, a new dress, and $100. And then Linus made his wish, and he said, I wish for a long life for all of my friends, world peace, and great advancements in medical research. At that point, Lucy grabbed the wishbone and threw it away, saying, Linus, that's the trouble with you. You always spoil everything. Well, folks, I'm going to risk spoiling everything for you on this last Sunday of 2013. Before we take the tree down and put the ornaments away, before our thoughts move on to the new year and all of those resolutions that we'll never keep, I want to give us a little reality check about the meaning of Christmas. And I know that it is a part of our nature, a part of our makeup, that we want nice, easy, happy endings to our stories, don't we? We just like that. And I know that particularly at this time of the year, we want our, our thoughts to go to, to peace and 
love and joy and hope and all of those great things. And, and we want to relish in the memories of the excitement that we felt as children in our anticipation for the coming of Santa Claus. It's the wrong time of the year to focus our thoughts on the, the suffering of the world. We'd rather focus on the beautiful story of a baby born in a manger. And that's all very natural for us. But before we leave our celebration of Christmas, we need to spend a few moments thinking about the other side of Christmas. There was a group of students from Furman University who were in Bethlehem at Christmas time meeting with a professor there, a Christian Palestinian, Palestinian whose university had been closed by the Israeli government. And we need to know that Bethlehem in today's time, is a lot different from the Bethlehem in which Jesus was born. Today, it is a Palestinian city of about 50,000 people, and refugee camps on the outskirts of town are often the scenes of frequent clashes between Palestinian demonstrators and Israeli troops. The area around Manger Square, which is the traditional site of Christ's birth, is always clogged with tour buses and construction sites. And, and so several of the Furman students looked around at the deprivation and the destruction and the, the hardship that dimmed the festive lights of Christmas and muted the Advent celebrations to which they were accustomed. And they commented to their professor that being at that place in that particular time just didn't seem like Christmas to them. But the professor corrected them and said, it is Christmas as celebrated in New York and Atlanta and London and Hong Kong that does not look like Christmas. And of course he's right. Because folks, our world of glitter and affluence is a far cry from the world of Mary and Joseph. So let's pick up the Christmas story after the Magi had presented their gifts to the Christ child and departed for their own land. Listen to this story as if you were listening to it for the very first time. When they had gone, the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, let's stop right there for a moment. A mother and a father are warned by an angel to grab up their child and run for their lives, leaving behind everything that they owned. How will they get by in their new homeland? Will Joseph be able to find work? Where will they live? Do things like that really happen? And the answer is yes. They happen all the time. They have happened all throughout history and they are still happening today. But folks, this is not a pretty picture. This is not a vacation on the Nile. This is the life of a refugee. And that is not an easy life. But the story continues. So Joseph got up. He took the child and his mother during the night, and he left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they were no more. Now history tells us that Herod was a monster. He was an awful person. He murdered many of his own family members, including his favorite wife, her grandfather, her brother, and even some of his own children, he killed them. On one occasion, he had the whole Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jewish government, assassinated. 
On another occasion, he had every notable man in Jerusalem murdered. So it's quite evident that Herod was certainly capable of carrying out the crime that was reported here in this scripture. Apparently, when the Magi told him that a new king had been born, Herod was so threatened by this news that he wanted to kill that child to make sure that his power was maintained. But since he didn't know who that child was, he ordered the death of every male child in the vicinity of Christ's birth. My friends, this is a part of the Christmas story that gets written out of the school plays. This crazy juxtaposition that at the very moment when people are celebrating the good news of great joy for all the people, at that same moment, the parents of a small town in Bethlehem are struck with tragedy and disaster because their children were in the wrong place at the wrong time, the victims of a madman. And think about how difficult this time must have been for Mary and Joseph's spirituality. This was God's child and they knew it. Why why was he having to flee for his life? They had been chosen by God to be very special servants of God. Why did they have to go through so much pain and, and, and trauma? being uprooted from their homes, having to to move and being persecuted and threatened with death. Why was this coming upon them? Why didn't God just get rid of Herod? Well, of course, Herod eventually did die, but not before he had killed so many people, both old and young. And the story continues. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. Now, some scholars believe that Mary and Joseph and Jesus had to live in Egypt as refugees for as long as six or seven years before the angel told them that it was safe to go back to Judea. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Do you think that life was any easier in an Egyptian refugee camp 2,000 years ago than they are in, in many forsaken parts of the world today? No. This just points to the fact that Jesus did not have an easy life as a child. It was a hardship on him. It was a hardship for Joseph and Mary as they spent those years in Egypt trying to survive. But the story continues. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. Ah, finally, home at last. Their troubles are over. Now we can get back to the children with visions of sugar plums in their their head, dancing in their heads. But no, there's more. When Joseph heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. Thus was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. So this is why Jesus and his family lived in the backwater region of Galilee. It's because they were afraid of Herod's son, who was perhaps as as ruthless as Herod was. And, And he was. Right after Archelaus assumed the throne, he had over 3,000 of the most influential citizens of Israel murdered. So Joseph had a right to be concerned. He was he was wise to take his family to Nazareth out on the edge of the country. And so now maybe. Maybe as many as eight years into their married life, now maybe Joseph could finally get a real job. Now maybe he could support his family, and now maybe he could, they could have a house and a garden. It wouldn't be easy, but at least they were out of that refugee camp. And now maybe Joseph could be the kind of father to Jesus and the kind of husband to Mary that he had long wanted to be. 
Six to seven years living in a refugee camp, returning home while a a cruel tyrant is on the throne whose father had tried to kill their baby. Do you see? Are you willing to even think about what that first Christmas may really have been like? And what does all this have to say to us? On this Sunday after Christmas. Well, first of all, I hope it will be be a call to each of us to compassion. It is a call to compassion for us. Pastor Deanne Lohman tells about a book called Sleeping with Bread, whose title comes from the plight of refugee children in Europe uh, during World War II. Many were left orphaned and hungry and starving. A few of the fortunate, more more fortunate, were placed in refugee camps where they could have at least a modicum of care and and regular meals. But many of the children there were so traumatized that they couldn't sleep because they were afraid that they would wake up and find themselves without a place to sleep or or without any food to eat. And the caregivers could not comfort them. And so eventually someone came up with the idea of giving each child a simple piece of bread to hold on to during the night. And after that, the children slept peacefully, knowing that today I ate and tomorrow I will eat again. Can you imagine such deprivation where your only comfort was holding on to a piece of bread? Well, my friend, sometimes you and I, we we see a picture of a refugee child in a magazine or on, on television. And I pray that God will help us if we harden our hearts to those images. We can't. Because, folks, whenever we see such images as that, we should have two reactions. The first is, that child could be mine. And indeed it could. Because, folks, terrible things have happened to good, loving families all across our world and in our country. So, yes, that could be your child. And then the second thought should be this. That child could be Jesus. And indeed it could be. You see, he also lived as a refugee. And so think about that the next time you see a a picture of a child in a refugee camp anywhere across the world. That could be Jesus. And maybe that thought will inspire us to open our hearts a little wider and open our purses just a little bit wider to help to save children like that. Jesus taught us in Matthew 25, verse 40, Truly I tell you, Whatever you do for the least of these, you did for me. So you see, that story of the first Christmas should first of all be for us a call to compassion. But secondly, it should also be a word of comfort. Folks, Jesus didn't have an easy life. And sometimes we forget that. I know that sometimes we focus on the cross and we say, say that he died an awful death, and he did. But we must also realize that his life was no bed of roses either. Pastor Mike Slaughter uh, wrote a book titled Christmas is Not Your Birthday. And he has an interesting take on the prophecy in Isaiah in which he, the, the prophet Isaiah predicted the coming of Messiah. Isaiah said, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Did you hear that? He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Don't you think that's strange? I mean, think about it. We like our Jesus to be blue-eyed and blonde hair, or at the very least, ruggedly handsome, don't we? That's the way he's always portrayed in the movies. But Isaiah prophesies that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. And then Slaughter notes that in the 8th chapter of John, that around the age of 30, 
Jesus' accusers mistakenly thought that he was almost 50. Now think about that a minute. He was 30 years old but looked more like 50. And then Slaughter goes on to say that while working in refugee camps in Darfur, he said, I was taken aback by the toll that poverty takes on the aging process, often mistaking people in their 30s for being in their 50s. Now think about that. You know how you can look in some people's faces and see that they've lived a hard life? We've seen that. Well, let me say to you that if you are one of those people, and if you still bear in your body or on your body the marks of childhood deprivation or the weariness of a recent illness or any of the other physical manifestations of Life's many cruelties. Let me tell you something, folks. Jesus has been there. He understands. He feels your pain. The one who sat in the splendors of eternity emptied himself completely to experience all of the hardships of what it means to be a human being. So you see, Christmas, the real Christmas is a call to us for compassion. And to those who are hurting, it is a word of comfort. And then finally, it is a reminder to us of what our salvation costs. Mike Overpeck tells about a a small farm that he knows about in Indiana. It has a tall silo. And for several years, a a bright star would be placed on top of that silo during the, the Christmas season. This stimulated a lot of conversation in the local diner, and for some it was a reminder to them of the the star that guided the Magi 2,000 years ago, and for others it was just a waste of electricity. And then one year, something different happened. Shortly after the holidays, this quiet reminder of Christmas was transformed into a cross. And later at the diner, someone said to the farmer who put it there, we, see, we can see you putting up a star on your silo for Christmas, but why would you turn it into a cross? And the farmer paused for a moment, and then he responded. He said, well, you see, the birthday party is over, and now you're going to find out why Jesus really came. Here's the thing, folks. There is an unbreakable link between Christmas and the cross. The one who from the very beginning of his life, who had no place to lay his head, would end his life by laying down his life for us. And that's the part of the Christmas story that's rarely told. So, like Lucy and Linus, I hope that I haven't spoiled the story for you. Because so much of it is a beautiful story. But I hope that you will take the story of Christmas in its entirety home with you today. And I hope that that story will lead you to a more mature understanding of why our faith is about compassion and comfort and about the cost that Christ paid for our salvation. But not only for our salvation, but for the entire world. Because, you see, Jesus was a refugee. And we can take refuge in that. Amen. Let us join together now in singing our closing hymn. Our Savior's infant cries were heard. We'll sing all four verses, number 116. Let us stand.
As we come to the close of this Christmas season and our reflections come to their pinnacle in the presence of Jesus, may we not forget what we have been waiting for. Hope, peace, joy, and love. All of these come not to an end, but to a beginning in the coming of our Lord. But as we wind down our celebrations and we make ready to put away our decorations and relax in the afterglow of such goodness, we recognize that on the other side of Christmas we are met with tragedy. The real world slaps us in the face and makes us aware that all is not well in the world. And so we mourn. We mourn with those who can identify with those Bethlehem parents, like those families in Newtown, Connecticut, who lost their children so violently and tragically last year. We mourn with those who have been displaced by war and famine and natural disasters, who struggle each day just to survive to the next day. We mourn with those who have been hard-pressed by this Christmas season to dredge up these feelings of hope and peace and joy and love. But in you, O God, we find comfort. In your Holy Spirit, we find the strength to move on in your work and your will for our lives. We weep and mourn even as we hold on to our hope, to our peace, to our joy, and to our love. So let us look upon this broken world, O God. Let us enter into your very being. May you incarnate your presence into each of us. May we truly be your body, your hands and your feet. We are your church. And so we pray that you would enter into us, that we may die to ourselves, so that you, O Christ, may be born in in us again. And it is in the name of your Son who came to die for us that we pray. Amen.